Well, good morning to you guys uh, this morning. It, it is an absolute pleasure to, uh, to be down here. Like, like Mark said, I've known him for about almost two years coming up, and uh, it is just wonderful to be down here with you guys. I feel like I'm already walking into a room full of friends. You know, I met you know, Chris last uh, January. I met Tim last October. So there's even some familiar friends. Forgive me a little bit this morning. I've, I'm an allergy sufferer, and, and I feel like this morning is allergies one, Jeff zero. Uh, so my voice is just a little bit scratchy. So uh, like, like Pastor Mark said, my name is Pastor Jeff uh, Van Putten. I'm from Cleveland area, North Ridgeville, Ohio, pastor at Westside Community Church. Uh, my wife, Molly, she couldn't be here this morning. You'll, you'll find out why in a few seconds. It's a really, a few minutes, really cool story why she couldn't be here. And I have a four-year-old son named Carter. He is the, the joy of our life, uh, the life of our life. He is amazing. Um, Janie, I don't know where you went, but thank you for sharing this morning. I feel like I could just say ditto and, and sit down. Um, I'm going to say a lot of the things that you said. So thank you for sharing your heart. Thanks for letting God work through you. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, like I said, I met Mark about a year and a half ago. We were feeling called, my wife and I, to plant a church. And, and we knew that we were going to be planting a church that was a little bit different than the typical church plant. And our regional minister, our area, Great Lakes region, we have a regional minister, and he was, he was hearing what I was saying in my heart, and he said, you know what, there's this guy named Mark Jones that you need to talk to down in Cincinnati. So I emailed Mark, and he graciously said, yeah, come on. I asked him if I could come on down and spend some time, and um, I know he's a busy guy, and I was hoping for an hour, you know, just to pick his brain. And what, we spent, what, four or five hours at Panera um, just encouraging one another, just sharing stories of life and ministry. And uh, Mark, I just want you to know God has used you incredibly. I want your church to know that. God has used this man in our life, in my life, my wife's life, and helped kind of even shape Westside Community Church, what we are today. I know you guys know this, but I just want to say in in front of him, you guys got a great guy. So Mark, thank you. Um, I do have one beef with you, though, um, one complaint, uh, that we live about four hours away. Because I feel like if we lived closer, we'd hang out a lot more than we do. So if, if that's my only complaint, we're doing, we're doing pretty good. But thanks for who you are. Thanks for letting God use you. Appreciate you. Um, would you pray with me as we get started? I want to lift this, this time up to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, we give you all the glory and honor and praise for what you do in our lives every day for the way that you sustain us, for the way that you redeem us, for the way that you work through us. Lord, even though every one of us here is broken and we mess up and we get it wrong a lot of times, but Lord, we praise you that you are faithful to forgive us. Lord, we know that we feel your love every day. I pray that you would bless our time in your word. Lord, I pray that you would use the words that you've given me, Lord, to encourage and to equip, and that we might fall in love with you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to share a story with you this morning, just kind of the story of the past year or so. It's really been just one year since we launched out. But more than that, I want us to be encouraged this morning just just by God's Word. I want us to spend some time in God's Word and really be encouraged by what what He has to say. So if you have your Bibles or tablets or phones, would, would you turn to Acts 9? Um, as you turn there, I'm going to kind of get us started. We'll get there. But it was one year ago this June that my wife and I and one other family, just two families, we launched out to plant Westside Community Church, a new church in the Cleveland area. Now, I'd been on staff at a larger church for about three and a half years. And, and, but over time, in that three and a half years, I began to wrestle, just began to wrestle with, with how we're doing church 
and, and quite honestly, began to wrestle with, with really how we were living the Christian life. And God began to impress upon me that there was so much more to the Christian life than, than just a couple hours a week on Sunday. And there was so much more to being a pastor than just trying to draw a group of people to one Sunday service and then call that good for the week. I just felt like there was so much more. And in the midst of this wrestling, God called us to plant Westside, where we strongly believe that the church is, is more, so much more than just a couple hours a week on Sunday devoted to Him. That God is actually calling everybody, every Christ follower, to more than church attendance, more than Bible study, more than just a couple hours a week. He's actually calling every member of the body of Christ to devote their entire lives to loving Him and loving others. You see, God, God calls His people to go out into the world to incarnate the gospel in your own community. So our entire discipleship philosophy at Westside Community Church is really to equip people for the purpose of being sent. So today, as I mentioned, we're going we're gonna to look at Acts 9. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at, at how our life, and more specifically our salvation, is, is, is so much bigger than what we think, than what we typically think about in a regular week, that our salvation is part of God's mission to spread the gospel all over the world. So would you look right in, in Acts 9, picking right up in verse 1. Read along with me, or just read along silently. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So this guy named Saul, who we know later becomes Paul, he's, he's traveling to Damascus, right? He's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. He has special letters, special permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to arrest anybody who belongs to, to what he called the way, or this, this new band of, of rebels called Christians, right? Because remember, back then, from the Jewish perspective, Christianity was, it was a heresy, that's why they crucified Christ. It was an illegal movement to be a follower of Christ. And on his way to Damascus, he says he's still breathing out murderous threats. This isn't just a guy casually strolling to Damascus. He is on a mission to stamp out this thing called Christianity. And he has this personal encounter with the living Christ. And Jesus calls him out on his persecution. He calls him to the carpet and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? Because to persecute a Christian is to persecute Christ. Pick back up with me in verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So the Lord speaks to this guy named Ananias, and he tells him to go to this house, go to Judas's house, and ask for this guy named Saul. Ananias is told to restore Saul's sight, and in that moment, he voices his concern to the Lord. He's worried, and I don't blame him, right? But what God says, what the Lord says to Ananias in verse 15 is utterly amazing. He says, go. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I mean, I can only imagine Ananias' face when, when the Lord says that to him. I mean, his jaw must have hit the ground because to him, that statement was utterly inconceivable. I mean, Saul was, was the wor- arguably the worst persecutor of Christians back in that day. This is the same Saul in Acts 7 who was guarding the coats as, the, as they stoned Stephen, who was giving, it says it was giving approval to Stephen's death. It's ridiculous that this guy could be God's chosen instrument to carry his name. You see, what's going on here is that Saul's salvation was much more than just about one sinner being saved. Saul was a major part of God's redemptive plan to save the whole, to save people throughout the earth. And guess what? So are you and so am I. See, our salvation is so much more than just for me or just for you. It's part of God's mission to spread the good news all throughout the world. In fact, all through Scripture, we see this, God reinforces this. Listen to to Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now catch this. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Do you catch what's going on here? God didn't just tell Abram, hey, Abram, I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to bless you. He says, I will make you great, and I'll bless you for a purpose, a purpose that's far greater, Abram, than your short life here on this earth. Through you, I'm going to bless all people 
on the earth. You see, it was never about just Abram. It was about God's sovereign plan and His mission. Next, listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It says, The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, so as though God were making His appeal through us. I mean, the fact that in Christ we're a new creation, that's incredible news for us. That's amazing. But we tend to forget that we are a new creation, as that new creation, we've been given by God the ministry of reconciliation. That in short, God uses us to spread the good news. That's what that means. It means as a follower of Christ, it's our role to live our lives in such a way that represents Christ to a lost and dying world, pointing Him not, not to us, but, but pointing everybody to Christ. And lastly, we, we all know the words of the Great Commission. They, they were spoke this morning. But just a few words from there says, go and make disciples. See, Jesus commands us to go. He, everyone, He commands us to go. No Christian is immune from the Great Commission. And we can't stand and say, you know, you know that passage doesn't really apply to me because I, I don't feel called to foreign missions or, or I don't feel called to, to full-time vocational ministry. And I, I think for far too long, the Great Commission has been, been relegated to foreign missions and to full-time ministry. And, and I got to tell you, to, to pigeonhole that passage so narrowly, so narrowly is a horrible misunderstanding of what the Great Commission is saying. See, what it says, the Great Commission tells all of us to, to go into your neighborhood, go into your school, go into your work, workplace. For goodness sake, go into your kids' baseball team or soccer team and make disciples there. Everywhere we go, in everything we do, we're to be Christ's ambassadors to a lost and dying world. It's God's plan for my life. It's God's plan for your life if you follow Him as your Savior. You see, i got to be brutally honest with you this morning. The, the fact that our salvation is, is nothing more than just a private transaction between me and God is, is terribly incomplete. See, our salvation is, isn't just about us and just for us as individuals. Our salvation is not just about us. It's also what God intends to do through us. And when we reduce the gospel down to just that one-on-one private transaction, Man, we rob people of the joy of what it means to be a fully devoted disciple. Scripture is packed with with passages all over that call us to repent of our sin and to wholeheartedly with our entire life follow Him as Savior and Lord. Now, don't don't hear me wrong this morning. In no way am I saying that we're saved by anything other than grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is crystal clear. It's about as clear as it gets. It says we're saved by grace, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. However, when we look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's very difficult to understand the full meaning apart from verse 10. Because often we stop at verse 9. But verse 10 continues and it says, For, in, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works. Now catch this, which he prepared in advance for us to do. See, we are 100% saved by grace through faith. But let's not forget, we are saved with a purpose. And, and I strongly believe that, that the good works that Ephesians 10 talks about is everything wrapped up in what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. You see, like Saul was, we too are God's chosen instrument to spread the good news. And Saul recognized this right away. When he, when he was blind, he realized this right away. Look in verse 20 of our passage. It says, And immediately he proclaimed in the synagogues, saying, Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. Paul had an encounter that so radically, so dramatically changed his life, transformed his life, that he, he began to, to live out that faith right away and every day. See, we need to understand that who we are as the body of Christ is so deeply rooted in who God is. And I know you've heard Pastor Mark say this before. We serve a God on mission, a God of mission, ascending God. We know this, that all throughout Scripture, that when, when, God, when sin entered the world, right, God lost something. Right? He lost the perfect relationship with humanity. And ever since sin entered the world, God's been on a mission to get that back, to redeem that, to reconcile that back to himself. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to the earth, to make a way for us as people to be reconciled back to God once and for all. And then when Jesus was on the earth, what did he do in his ministry? He continually sent disciples out to love and to serve people and to carry his name. And then when Jesus left the earth, when he was resurrected, he left the earth. He and God the Father sent who? The Holy Spirit to be our helper here on earth. And the the mission of God or this missio Dei continues today through us as the church, through you and me. See, we are sent people called to carry on God's mission. He left that for us. It amazes me that he uses broken vessels like us to carry out his perfect and wonderful and glorious mission. Isn't that amazing? Now, right now, I said my wife was supposed to be here this morning. Um, she, she sends her regrets. She'd love to be here. But she is actually, right now, as we speak, she's being sent on mission to our neighborhood. Uh, we moved to a, a new subdivision. To, we moved to a new community last year to launch this church, this missional community. We moved into a huge subdivision, probably 750, maybe more homes. Just a huge, sprawling sub. Um, we love it. We love it there. We feel God picked the right house for us. And this past week was, was garage sale week. I don't know about you. If you live in a subdivision and you have a weekly garage sale, it's nuts. We, we lived there last year and just made the garage sale week. I, I would say hundreds, if not thousands of people flock to our neighborhood I mean, it's, it's wall-to-wall cars on both sides of the streets. It's, it's ridiculous. It takes you 20 minutes just to get out of the neighborhood, to drive a mile sometimes. And I'm always amazed at the, the stuff or the, the junk that people buy. And it just cracks me up. I remember one year we had these, these bird feeder suet cakes. That was one of the first things that we sold from our garage sale. Um, it's crazy. But anyway, this, this garage sale was supposed to run from Wednesday to Saturday. And then her, Molly's parents were going to finish it up for us on Saturday, and we were going to drive down here together and leave Carter with Grandma and Grandpa. But she had an idea last week, and I say she had an idea, but it really was, it was an idea straight from the Spirit. She said to me, she said, you know, honey, I wonder if our missional community on Saturday and Sunday, after the garage sale is done, if we could somehow contact the people and drive around and just pick up all the unsold stuff that, that they couldn't sell, and what if we could then in turn 
donate, sort it, because there's probably some stuff that needs to be just pitched in the garbage, but sort through the stuff, and the stuff that is good, couldn't we, through the church, donate that to local organizations in our community that'll in turn help people in need? So, I mean, I said, honey, that, excuse me, that's a phenomenal idea. Why don't you run with that? So she contacted the organizers of the garage sale because it was one of those where you actually have to pay five bucks to hold the garage sale because they market it to the community. The lady just loved, she thought it was a phenomenal idea. So Molly met with her and the lady actually asked us. Now we had this idea in the back of our mind, but we didn't, we didn't bring it forward. She said to Molly, hey, is there any way next year, this is before we even did anything, is there any way next year that maybe we could put this on the form for registration next year? That we could, you know, check this box and Westside Community Church will come and pick up your unsold stuff. How amazing is that? When you have people in the community coming to the church because they see you as a way to help people in need. It just, it blew us away. So, in, in yesterday and today, she's got 30 plus pickups. She emailed, the, the organizer emailed her the email list and she emailed every single person, about 80 plus homes. And 30 people have said, yes, here's a time, can you come pick up our stuff? The conversations that she's having with these people and the, the relationships that she's making, you, you can't put a price tag on that. So she looked at me when she started getting emails back from people. She said, honey, I think I might need to stay home this weekend. I said, I think you're right. I said, I wish you could come, but what she's doing is far more important um, up there, building a relationship and, and meeting more people, ways that we can serve in our neighborhood. You see, most of us live, live alongside and work alongside people who are in a similar life stage as we are. And it's pretty easy for most of us to relate to those who are similar. You know, and each one of us ought to be able to tell somebody, whether it's a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, this is who I was before I met Christ. This is how I am now and how I'm different. And it's amazing. And it, the thing is, it doesn't have to be an eloquent, rehearsed speech. It can be casual conversation with a friend over a fire in the backyard, just talking about life struggles and telling your friend, man, this is what I'm struggling with too, but Christ is getting me through it, and this is how, and this is why. Because remember, our lives, our transformed lives, are part of God's mission to spread the good news. You see, who Saul was before his transformation was a huge part of his witness afterwards. And that's the same thing that is true for us. Who we are has a dramatic impact on our witness for Christ. God made you the way you are for a plan and purpose. Your personality, your gifts, your hobbies, your weaknesses, even some of the things that you experienced before you met Christ, God uses all of that to share his love through you. Listen to 1 Peter 2.12. It's probably one of my favorite verses in all, in all Scripture. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Wow. In other words, as Pat, Peter says, Live and love and serve people in such a way that points them to Christ. See, we're, we're meant to live in an active faith not a passive faith. We're meant to live an active faith. Another story for you, last year, uh, probably in August or so, our missional community met together on Friday nights, and, and we were talking, and Connie, one of, the, one of the other wives, she just said, hey, you know, I haven't seen Eric and Julie. It's a neighbor that lives a few doors down from them. You know, their kids are similar age or, or soon-to-be kids as theirs. She said, I hope that everything's okay. 
So we prayed in that moment. We prayed for Eric and Julie, prayed for everything was okay. Turns out they were on vacation in Hawaii, so they, they were doing just fine. But just the fact that Connie would, would think to, to wonder. It's been two weeks. I hope they're okay. But we prayed for them, and, and Connie took it on herself. Her, her homework was in the next week. She'd go knock on their door and just say, hey, you know, Julie, is everything okay? Anything we can do to help? She didn't even get the chance to do that because the very next day, the very next morning, Julie, unsolicited from Connie, sent her a Facebook message. And the message was simply this. It was, you know, the backstory is this family, Eric and Julie, were in process of adopting three children from Latvia, going from zero kids to three kids. And Julie's a school teacher, so she's been home all summer with them, which was great. But school was, was quickly approaching, and Julie had to go back to work. And there was a weird law in our community that says that kids cannot start school in the public school until the adoption's official. And that wasn't supposed to happen until about October. So she was asking Connie, who's a well-connected lady, hey, is there anybody you know that might be able to watch these kids, you know, five days a week while I'm at school teaching? Um, and she said, we'll, we'll pay them very well. Let them know. We, we want to pay them. We'll pay them well. When Connie brought this to our missional community that next week, or I think she even called my wife and told her the next day or that day, um, the next time we met, I looked at our group and almost with tears in my eyes, I said, guys, we got to find a way to do this for this family. We got to figure out a way to meet this need. So Connie proposed, Molly and Connie got together and she proposed to Julia a scenario where Molly would watch the kids on Mondays and Wednesdays and once in a while on Fridays and that Connie would watch them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, and we met with the family. We came over for dinner and just talked it through and, and they agreed to let us serve them. And we, and we proposed that scenario, and we said to them, you know, Eric and Julie, we want to do this to you. We want to serve you, but we, we're not going to let you pay us. You know, we, we want to just do this for free. They were blown away. They were blown away. And for eight weeks, we started this relationship with these kids who spoke broken English, and we got to play a role, even in their growth and development, as we pretty much homeschooled them for eight weeks between two houses. You see, don't let don't let people just hear about Christ from your lips. Let them see Him. Let them experience the living God through how you live your life. This is the kind of stuff that God will bring your way if you actively pray, God, give us opportunities to love and serve people in our community. This stuff will happen, I promise you. See, every one of us is unique, and, and we're meant to use our uniqueness to, for God's glory. What I mean by that is if you're a teacher, then you bring God the most glory when you use your teaching gifts to bring honor and glory to Him. If you're a plumber or a waitress or a nurse or a doctor, whatever you are, use your vocational gifts to, to network and to witness and to build relationship with other professionals in your field of expertise. I'm, I'm not a nurse. I don't have the skills. I don't have a training. You, you probably wouldn't want me at your bedside tending to your medical needs um, in a hospital. Um, I'll come and chat with you and pray with you. That's, that's my niche. But you don't want me changing your IV bag um, or doing anything like that. But those of you who are nurses and who are medical professionals, you have a tremendous opportunity that I will never have. It's a lot easier for you to relate to other nurses and doctors and anesthesiologists than I ever could. So use those gifts and those opportunities to build relationship and love and serve the people right around you. See, the most important thing that we need to do as Christians is we need to reorient our life around the gospel. Instead of trying to fit a little gospel in here and maybe a little here, but not over here, 
gospel, stay out of that part. We need to reorient our entire life around the gospel. Jesus Christ must be at the core of who we are, and we must bring everything in our life under His lordship, under His control, and most importantly, under His sovereign grace and forgiveness. The gospel must change everything about us. See, as a believer, when we follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we don't get to live for just me anymore. We get the privilege of living for Jesus Christ as His ambassador for Him and His mission. Well, this winter, another story for you. This winter, um, Eric, the husband, uh, the father of the adopted three kids, um, they, they had their adopt, adoption was official in October. Um, the kids started school and they're doing great. But he, on a drive home one night from basketball, he just opened up to me and just began to share about the struggles, about the struggles of, of having a now 6, 11, and 13-year-old. They didn't adopt little babies. Can you imagine going from married and no kids to instantly having a 6-year-old, 11-year-old, and a teenager? I mean, there, there's a reason babies, kids come out as babies, right? We as parents need time to grow with them and make mistakes and figure out this thing called parenting with them. But he was just sharing that it was hard and sharing the toll it was taking on their family and the toll it was taking on even on their marriage. And I just listened on the ride home. I, you know, I offered a little bit of advice, but not much. Just listened. I got home, was sharing with Molly, and we were praying for them. And Molly had, had another one of those spirit-led ideas. I, I have a very wise wife. She said, I wonder if there's a need in our neighborhood for other parents who are struggling. If there's one family having a need, we've got to believe that there are more. What if we just did a parenting group? What if we took our missional community and through that, we just put a pause on some of the things we're doing and we started a group and, and go through a parenting study. So that's what we did. We, we talked to the missional community and they thought it was great. So we just began to personally invite neighbors who we'd already met uh, friends around us. I even invited uh, my boss at the golf course. I work at a golf course too as a, as a second job. And we began to invite, and we were begging God, God, would you just send us one or two families out of the hundred or so people we know? Would you just send us one or two? And God completely blew us away. I, our, our community, because it's so large, it has a Facebook page, a private Facebook page, and people use it to post things. Sometimes not so great, but, but most of the time it's a really good tool. And we just put out there, we said, hey, we're going to do, as parents, we're going to do a biblically-based parenting group. That's all we said. Um, if you have any interest, private message me. Within three hours, I had multiple messages in my inbox, people we didn't even know, saying, oh, what are more details? When is it meeting? When are you starting? What's the cost? And, and I just began to message. The second week, our, our peak, we had 13 families show up for this parenting group because I believe because we touched a felt need. We touched a felt need, and now, now it's, it's dwindled, right? So on any given week, we're about eight weeks in, we've got probably seven to nine families, including our two that started, coming every week listening to, to, to Paul Tripp talk about biblical parenting. We're speechless. God took our puny little faith, asking him for one or two families, and just completely exploded that, shattered any, expe- any expectation that we had. And just amazed us. God continues to do that time and time again. And through this group, we're praying for, we're praying together. I mean, we're praying together with people. Some of them know the Lord. Some of them, we believe, don't. Um, but we're praying as a group and we're actively asking God, God, would you give us more opportunity to love and serve these families that are drawing near to us? You see, as, as we reorient our lives around the gospel, 
and, about, and around God's mission, it means that, that we can no longer ignore our neighbors. It means that, that we can't any longer turn a blind eye to, to poverty. Uh, one last quick story. Over the past year, we, we've been helping a, a family, um, a specific family in need. Daisy is, is the mom's name. She's a woman. She works with my elder, Kevin, and she's a single mom with five kids. She's probably in her mid to late 30s. Single mom, five kids. She has a job at the Cleveland Clinic, great hospital, uh, and it's a decent job, but it's nowhere near enough what, what a single mom with five kids who a family of six needs. She's a hardworking lady, and, and we've helped her a couple times the past year with, you know, buying gift cards to the grocery store, um, helping out financially a little bit here and there. But we, as Christmas approached, our hearts began to just break for her. And, and we just, Kevin asked her one day, hey, Daisy, what are, what are you doing for your kids for Christmas? And she said, Dr. Kevin, because he's, he's a physician, she, she said, I don't have any money. And she, she's a brutally on, I love her, because she just is, she'll tell you how it is. She's, I don't have any money. I can't buy my kids anything. So as a church, we prayed through it, and we decided to kind of take on this family and, and kind of adopt them for Christmas. And the idea started out just to, to buy them each a couple of gifts, and, and, but as Kevin got to know her more and asked questions, she was hesitant to give ideas. She was being humble. We just wanted her to give us a list so we can go shopping. But as Kevin asked her more questions, we found out that this poor family didn't even have the basic living essentials. Praise God they had a roof over their head, but they didn't even, for example, they didn't even have cups to drink with. And we found out that they, for cups, that they would wash out used tin cans that they got from vegetable cans, green beans, peas, and corn, that they would get from a food pantry. They would wash them out and use those to drink water, to drink milk, whatever. I don't care who you are. Nobody deserves to drink out of a washed-out tin can. Nobody. So we heard this, and excuse me. We, we just, we, God just broke our hearts for this family. And we began to, to say, all right, God, what do you want us to provide for them? And we went out on a Saturday morning as a missional community, as an entire church, with our kids included, so they could see what we're doing. And we went on a shopping spree for Daisy. Without her, we didn't have her with us. And we just, we just purchased things like a crock pot, pots and pans, um, a, a blankets for her kid's bed because it was winter and it was cold. It was the most amazing experience. We want to do this every single Christmas for our church's sake and our kids' sake. Find a family and pour Christ's love out on them tangibly through providing. To make matters worse, um, earlier in the year, she, uh, she had her car repossessed. And she lives about 25, 35 minutes from her job. She relied on a friend to take her to work, but when that friend was late, so was Daisy. And she'd actually gotten in trouble a few times. If her friend couldn't give her a ride, she would take a bus. But since there was no direct bus line, she would get up at 4.30 in the morning, have to take a bus all the way to downtown Cleveland, and then all the way 30 miles south to Strongsville, just to be to work at 8 o'clock so she wouldn't lose her job, so she could provide what she could for her family. Just amazing stuff. She's a hardworking mom. So we, we thought, this is after Christmas, Kevin and I were praying, and, and we both knew in the back of our mind, we asked the question, what's the biggest thing we can do to help this family? and help lift them out of poverty. And we both knew the answer, and we didn't want to admit it because we didn't know how we'd do it. We said, what they need is a car that can't be repossessed. 
And we began to pray, and we began to feel like God was calling us to buy this lady a car. But God, how are we going to do this when we're a new church of eight people? And that counts the kids. And, but we couldn't say no. We couldn't ignore the situation as we drove around in our two fancy cars. So, you know, we pitched in personally, Molly and I, Kevin and Connie pitched in, the church as an organization did. We had another church in, in Ohio even throw in a few hundred dollars to help this situation. And last, just this March, three months ago, we were able to give her free a 2005 Chrysler Town & Country minivan. It was amazing what God did through us. And I'm literally, I'm Saturday morning, I'm in the parking lot of the BMV, I'm kneeling down, putting her new license plates on her car, and she's standing here talking with my wife, and she says, Molly, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to make this up to you guys. I want to watch your kids for free, I want to clean your house. And I heard that, and I stood up, and I said, Daisy, you don't have to do a single thing. I said, we serve a God that loves us so much. And if he loves us, because he loves us, we love you. And if we love you enough to buy a car for you, that God loves you way more. In the parking lot of the BMV, sharing the love of God with this woman. You see, being on mission doesn't mean that we add a little bit of mission or outreach here and there into our schedule. It means that as we look at our weekly schedule, and as we begin, we begin to think and pray about how we can represent Christ in everything that we do, in everything that we're involved in. Outreach and being on mission isn't an event. It's a lifestyle. The Apostle Paul knew it, and remember, just like him, we are God's chosen instrument. We are saved with a far bigger purpose than just our own life. See, over the past year, my family and, and the Southern families made the transition to living our life on mission, and it's been incredibly refreshing. We feel like we've rediscovered God's purpose for our lives personally and for the life of our church right in our own neighborhood. I want to encourage you guys. Many of you guys are in a living community. If, if you're not in a living community, I just want to encourage you to, to join one. If you're feeling called by God to, to start a new one, launch out and multiply, Talk, talk to your pastor. Talk to your leadership team. Um, I know they want to work with you and, and see what God does. If you guys are discouraged, I know it can be discouraging when you feel like, God, where, what else can we do? Get on your knees with your missional community, with your living community, and beg God for opportunities to love and serve people. I can promise you, He will be faithful. We just got to look and listen. Keep our eyes open. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we love you so very much. God, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you that that you radically transformed his life. Lord, we praise you that, that our life is not just meant to be our own little small world lived for 70, 80, 90 years, but it's a life to be lived for you a life to be lived on mission with you together, partnering with you along with the body of Christ to bring glory and honor to you and to spread your name and to lift you high. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.